0: Hello, Nephew community, and welcome to today's Nephew podcast as we discuss the importance of early education and referral for autosomal-dominant polycystic kidney disease and how nephrologists can best educate their PCP and APP colleagues. My name is Marla DeLal, Nephrology Clinical and Scientific Liaison at Otsuka, I will be moderating today's discussion, and I'm very fortunate to have Dr. Pranav Garamella join me today to share his clinical expertise and his best practices. Dr. Garamella is a board certified nephrologist and associate professor of medicine, and the director of the ADPKD Center of Excellence and Acute Dialysis Services in the Department of Medicine and Nephrology at UC San Diego. He received his training in India, Chicago, and completed his fellowship at Tufts Medical Center, training in clinical nephrology with a focus on polycystic kidney disease with Dr. Ron Perrone. His research endeavors have led to multiple grants, including from the NIH and numerous peer-reviewed publications on the topic of biomarkers and kidney diseases. He has been the recipient of a multitude of teaching and clinical excellence awards. He is also involved in initiatives to develop programs specifically targeted at minority populations in an effort to improve health literacy and potentially clinical outcomes. Dr. Garamella, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you, Marla, for that introduction. Glad to be here today.
0: Glad to have you. So I want to start off with this question around why is it so important to refer ADPKD patients early?
1: Well, Marla, despite ADPKD being the most common inherited genetic kidney disease, patients are sometimes are unaware of their family history or the fact that they actually carry an inherited kidney disease i've seen situations where patients have been adopted and so they don't know their biologic family history and once in a while we see patients who have a de novo mutation that is there is no family history and they're diagnosed for the first time in the fourth or fifth decade of life when they first present either with signs or symptoms of kidney disease, or somebody does a laboratory test and that shows some abnormal values. Additionally, historically, we've not had any treatments that have modified uh, the course of polycystic kidney disease. And so I think there has been some reluctance uh, to refer patients to specialists when there has not been much treatment option. However, I think this has changed over the last several years. um, And the additional risk staging prognostication tools that have also been developed have, um, you know, uh, really advanced the field, but whether they've percolated down into the non-nephrology community, and whether that is holding up uh, early referrals, I think is something that needs to be studied. And when you look at you know, Outside of disease modifying therapies and risk stratifications, there are other reasons to refer patients early on. Uh, patients sometimes request pre implantation counseling if they're looking to conceive and have uh, a child and they are concerned about passing on this mutation. Some patients have complex urinary tract infections and kidney stones which need uh, surgical or you know other specialist interventions. And finally, management of non-kidney related complications that are very common in polycystic kidney disease, such as uh, cerebral aneurysms and the management of polycystic livers, all are very good reasons to uh, refer patients to specialists uh, early on, I think and patients would really benefit from them, especially now that we have other clinical trials and research protocols in the pipeline, getting patients into these settings would be beneficial for them.
0: Thanks, Dr. Garlamella. These are really great points, and I completely agree that there are misconceptions that there isn't much to be done, and agree with the points that you presented that there are valid reasons to refer early but unfortunately, what we're seeing is that referrals are coming once the kidney function declines, which leads me to my next question. So, what are some of the key clinical features and manifestations that may occur earlier in ADPKD before the renal function starts to decline? And what is it that PCPs and APPs can specifically look out for?
1: Great question, Marla. Thank you. Again, like you said, the kidney function starts to decline quite late, very often in the fourth or fifth decade of life. But that doesn't mean that there isn't ongoing kidney damage. And we know that the strongest predictor of PKD progression is the size of the kidneys. It's the most common metric used by nephrologists to identify patients. And we know that large kidneys are due to large cysts. So even in the absence of GFR decline, one can expect symptoms related to these cysts such as pain or blood in the urine, which are the most common presentations when someone goes to a physician and is first diagnosed with uh, polycystic kidney disease. In fact, the presence of blood or the presence of a urologic event are used in certain risk models, but one doesn't necessarily see these symptoms early on. A more subtle sign, I think, is the development of high blood pressure, which unfortunately may not be picked up early on, especially if someone is not getting regular care. And if someone does diagnose hypertension in someone who is a young patient who doesn't have other risk factors, I think evaluating them by looking at their kidneys with imaging uh, is definitely something that should be done, and that can trigger an early referral to a specialist. Similarly, recurrent urinary tract infections or stones may be first manifestations of polycystic kidney disease without GFR decline, and those two should trigger evaluation by imaging. And finally, like I said about liver cysts and intracerebral aneurysms, uh, they occur at a greater prevalence than patients with. Uh, without PKD, and especially intracerebral aneurysms, which can actually cluster in families and tend to rupture at an earlier age than non-PKD patients with aneurysms. So again, a multitude of reasons. Uh, Some of them don't always present until it is catastrophic like an aneurysm, but very often we may have high blood pressure, urinary tract infections and stones, or simply even pain, which may necessitate imaging to make that first diagnosis of PKD.
0: Got it. Thanks. And what about for patients who are considered at risk of rapid disease progression? Are there any key signs or symptoms that distinguish those patients?
1: Great question. Uh, The main risk factor, again, is kidney size. So if someone has not imaged these patients and you don't know what their kidney volume is, uh, predicting rapid progression is going to be difficult. The height adjusted total kidney volume is the strongest predictor that we have for the development of kidney failure and is currently used both for treatment stratification and for research purposes. The development of high blood pressure before the age of 35 and the uh, presence of a urological event before the age of 35 and that could be cyst infection, that could be blood in the urine, have been used in the pro PKD score, which is a risk gratification tool to identify those at high risk for progression. The main drawback is that these have to be used in conjunction with genetic testing in the pro PKD score and genetic testing, unfortunately is not currently available for everyone and may sometimes be unaffordable. So I think looking for clinical signs of progression, understanding what the kidney volume is, and perhaps sequentially looking at change in kidney volume would be the best markers for uh, rapid risk of progression.
0: That makes sense. Thank you for giving that overview. You know, one of the biggest insights that I've noticed when speaking to my nephrology providers is that they're unfortunately seeing ADPKD patients come in at a much later stage than they would like. How can nephrologists best educate and communicate to PCPs and APPs the importance of referring ADPKD patients early? Can you possibly share some of your best practices?
1: This is this is a this is a trap one sometimes to answer. Um, I was trained actually at a large ADPKD center, which had a robust referral base, and I think internally they were aware about the program, but I then realized that this kind of training is not necessarily reflective of nephrology practice nationwide. Um, I think nephrologists need to work closely with primary care physicians uh, and APPs and anyone else essentially who's seeing patients in primary care settings to educate them about what is new in polycystic kidney disease. And this would include risk stratification, disease modification therapies, new blood tests to prognosticate, and even upcoming trials so that the, the base of APPs and primary care providers is uh, is quite well versed with what options they have and who to refer these patients to. I think the National Kidney Foundation has several state and citywide chapters and liaising with them is a great way to reach the community directly. Patients with PKD, especially those with a strong family history, are quite engaged and are always looking for ways to improve their care and see specialists and so Trying to get them to talk to other community partners and increasing awareness of PKD, I think would be one way of ensuring that uh, we get the message of uh, referring PKD patients to specialists early out there. The other thing I think that could be done is highlighting PKD care during general medical education seminars, board review courses, and CME sessions that are aimed at internists and family practitioners. I think they would be more comfortable seeing these patients and referring them as needed. Again, um, PKD accounts for only about 4% of kidney failure cases in the United States. So when you think about it compared to diabetes and hypertension, it's a much smaller population. However, uh, it's a very unique population that has significant other comorbidities that require a multidisciplinary team-based approach. And, you know, uh, getting these primary care providers, and sometimes even specialists. I have colleagues in hepatology who see patients who have polycystic liver disease, but they're not necessarily seeing a nephrologist because their kidney function has not declined. So ensuring that the medical community is well aware that we need a team-based approach and getting these patients plugged in with nephrologists, hepatologists, genetic counselors as needed, I think would be uh, a great way to improve the referral of PKD patients so that they can get the care that they need.
0: Thanks Dr. Garamella. Yeah, I agree. Working closely, multidisciplinary communication um, is best and early education is so, so important. And one of, the, one of our biggest initiatives at Otsuka is to educate the healthcare community early on so that they are aware of the disease and know when to best refer to their nephrology colleagues. So with that, we can conclude today's podcast. I want to thank Dr. Garamella for joining us today and providing his insights and expertise on the importance of early referral and education in ADPKD. And I want to thank the NEPHEW community for joining today and encourage you to check out nephew.org for future webinars, podcasts, and events. You can also check us out on our social media platforms using the handle at NEPHEW community. Thanks again, and we look forward to seeing you next time on Nephew.